This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. Hi, I'm John McElroy. Welcome to AutoLine This Week. Today, we're going to be talking about automotive safety. Automakers are coming out with all kinds of new safety technology on cars, but are they bringing it out fast enough? And are they bringing out the right technology? We're going to get to the bottom of that today because my special guest is David Harkey, the president of the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. David, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. And also on our journalist panel today, we've got Chester Dawson from Bloomberg and Paul Eisenstein from the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, Chester, great to have you guys on board. Great to be with you, John. Same here. So, David, let's get into all this automotive safety. We're seeing, you know, we're on the verge of autonomous technology. We're not quite there yet, but we're seeing semi-autonomous systems coming out. For example, autopilot with Tesla, Super Cruise with uh, Cadillac. In fact, Tesla's saying it's going to come out with full self-driving, full automation next year. They've been saying that for a number of years. Now they're saying (laughs) next year. I'm just wondering, what does the Insurance Institute think about all this, where drivers take their hands off the wheel and let the car drive? Well, that's a big concern if we get to that point, and uh, it's something we're watching very closely. Uh, As you said, uh, Tesla, other auto companies have been promising um, autonomous vehicles now for really a decade. And I think we have started to figure out, and they have started to figure out that this is complicated. Uh, and it's going to take longer to get to autonomous vehicles. But what we are seeing in the meantime is more and more of these driver assistance technologies that are are out there and available, and they are leading us down a path where we as drivers can perhaps pay a little less attention to the driving task, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, David, I I think back all the way to when the first ABS, anti-lock brakes, came out. They confused, if you you recall, some people wanted to remove them because the pulsing brakes confused people used to modulating the brakes, and some people let up on the brakes entirely. Uh, There's a big difference in names of different technologies that seem to confuse people, and there's a big difference in how they work with the consumer, whether they beep and buzz or vibrate your seat or the steering wheel or make other noises. Uh, what are your concerns about this? Do you, do you wa- want to see everybody come out with something that's pretty much the same in how it operates, no matter what brand? And do you see some technologies that maybe are just going too far and in reverse hurting uh, hurting consumers by not really doing what people expect. Yeah, there, so there's a lot in there, uh, Paul. Let me try to unpack a little bit of that. Uh, you know, the first thing I would say is that you know, one of the things that we um, are seeing is naming a technology, naming a system matters. We did some research um, a couple of years ago, some survey research, where we asked consumers, um, what kinds of tasks they thought they could do in certain types of vehicles that had certain names, right? And so Tesla, obviously, if you have autopilot, uh, Nissan had ProPilot Assist. 
And so you had these various names that conveyed to the consumer that it was okay for them to take their hands off the wheel. It was okay for them to eat. It was okay for them, in some cases, maybe to take a nap. So there, there's some real concerns about what you name a system and what that conveys to the consumer. So I think that's something that we really have to be careful about. The automakers have to be careful about uh, when they're thinking about the marketing side of, of what they are yeah. actually putting out there for consumers. I think the other thing to remember is that um, with respect to consistency in, in how these things operate, Obviously, that's another point of confusion for consumers. Most of us have a vehicle, and we quickly figure out how that particular vehicle works. But if you go from you know, vehicle A to vehicle B to vehicle C, uh, even within the same automaker, you know, just changing models, yeah. they can operate very differently. And I think that can lead to a real point of confusion uh, for consumers. And so we are encouraging the automakers, uh, and we are encouraging the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to think about how we can set standards and how we can potentially regulate how these systems work and how they convey safety information to the consumer. Are you also, just to follow up on that real quickly, are you also looking at the, the uh, consumer interactive element of each of these systems because uh, you go to GM, for example, and a lot of what they signal comes literally through the seat, seat of your yep. pants with a vibrating seat. Uh, others have loud buzzes. They may come from the same place no matter what the signal. Others give feedback. Uh, for example, with lane departure warning, I love it when I get a buzz through my steering wheel and the sound, it sounds like a rub strip when I'm mm -hmm. departing from the lane on the highway. Uh, and have you looked at these to see which ones work and which ones might confuse the consumer or get them to do the inappropriate thing? Yeah, one of the things that we have looked at um, is lane keeping, lane departure systems uh, is one that we've, we've paid particular attention to because they do operate very differently. And GM actually had, uh, we were able to look at vehicles that provided the warning through the seat as you mentioned, or provided that information audibly. And one of the real interesting things about that particular research study is, is that when the information was being conveyed through the seat, uh, rather than through some audible warning, the consumer was more likely to leave the system on. In other words, that they tended to want to turn the system off when it beeped at them, right? When you had a, a warning that was coming across uh, as, as some audible warning. And, you know, there's different reasons for that. It could be because they thought it was annoying. It could be because there are other people in the vehicle and they didn't want them to know uh, that maybe they were veering out of the lane. Mm -hmm. And so they, were, they much preferred the haptic warning in the seat. And I think that's one of the things is through our research and through the research of others, we're starting to learn what consumers like and do not like about these warning systems and whether they're likely to use them. And that's a really important point because we're seeing safety benefits from a lot of these driving assistance systems, you know, whether it's automatic emergency braking, whether it's blind spot assist, whether it's lane departure warning systems, we are seeing safety benefits show up both in our insurance claims data that we get from our member companies 
and police reported crash data. And you only get those benefits if you have the systems turned on. And so it's really important that we have systems that consumers want to use. David, I wonder if you could address the issue of um, cost because um, all of these systems um, don't come cheap. And in many cases, the ones that are most highly recommended are the most expensive trim uh, or options uh, for a vehicle. And I just wonder whether, um, you know, there's a, a risk that by encouraging automakers to, um, you know, add all these great safety features that, you know, vehicle prices are already at record highs and it's just kind of, pushing newer vehicles further out of reach of, of uh, people with fewer means. Um, how big of an issue do you think is that? And, um, uh, you know, is it an issue that you think is going to actually encourage some people to opt out just because of the cost of these things? Yeah, it, it is certainly a concern that, uh, that we as a society need to be aware of. And it's always been an issue when it comes to some safety features in automobiles, you know, that things start out on the luxury vehicle lines or the highest trim lines when it comes to a lot of technology. Um, and then it works its way through the rest of the fleet. And we are certainly encouraging automakers to include as many of these systems as they can on uh, across their entire fleet, because we do not want to see uh, safety being only affordable, the best safety features only being affordable uh, to those with with the biggest pocketbooks. That's just not, it's not fair. It's not what we should be doing as a society. But you have to realize, as, as you said, Chester, that there is there are price points uh, and automakers have to make sure that they're selling vehicles. Otherwise, they're going to go out of business. And so it really is a, a balance for them as to whether they can provide these additional safety features on the lower trim lines and the lower priced vehicles. Uh, and so we continue to have those discussions with them. And one of the things that does result over time is once you're able to instrument all of the vehicles in the fleet, now you've created uh, such a volume that the prices are driven down, right, for any particular technology. And if you can get that price point driven down for a technology, you can lower that marginal cost, even on the lower priced vehicles. And that's what we're striving to, to get automakers to do. David, I'm intrigued that four years ago, the Insurance Institute agreed, along with the Department of Transportation, to get automakers to volunteer to put automated emergency braking in cars. This has never been done before. I mean, it's always been regulated. Mm -hmm. What was argued at the time is that this was actually going to become far faster of getting the technology into cars than going through the normal regulatory process. Now we're starting to see it. We're starting to see automakers put AEB, as they call it, automated emergency braking. Some are getting well ahead of the, the, the voluntary effort. Some are gonna be laggards, not laggards, but they're gonna come in at the last minute. What's your assessment of how this has gone? Is this a good way to go? And what does it portend for the future? Would you like to apply this to other safety technologies? We've been very happy with that program, John. Uh, it was one of those unique opportunities that we had to, uh, we knew that, that NHTSA at that time was not interested in regulating 
uh, that particular safety feature. We were seeing 50% reductions uh, across all crash severities uh, with vehicles that had AEB. And so we knew there were some big safety benefits there. So we took on this role of, of brokering this voluntary agreement, as, as you described it, uh, with all of the automakers who produce vehicles here in the U.S. And many of them are already there. This was by 2022 model year that they were supposed to have AEB across yeah, most yeah. of their fleet. Some of them are already there. Some of the automakers are already there. Uh, the rest of them are going to be there uh, by 2022. We're confident in that. And so I do think it's a good way to accelerate uh, what's happening when it comes to technology uh, and getting technology out there quicker. And this kind of goes back to the question that, that Chester asked. It's a perfect example of where by getting AEB across the entire fleet and on all vehicles, they lowered the cost of those systems to the point that they could do it, that they could put them on all, all vehicles. Mm -hmm. I think moving forward, the other part of your question, moving forward, I think there's a role for both uh, regulation and these kinds of voluntary agreements. I think there's a mix of those two things that will work well. Um, sometimes you, you need the stick rather than the carrot. And, and, I, and I think that's where the regulation is required. Um, and, and I'll give you a perfect example of that. So another technology that is being worked on, you know, impairment is a big issue. Uh, has been for, for decades, um, you know, we still have almost 30% of the fatalities in the U.S. Uh, involve alcohol impairment. And so, you know, we've been working on the uh, driver uh, alcohol detection system for safety, the DADS program, for a long time now. And it's about to reach a point where it's ready for prime time production. And so one of the real questions there is, is whether that will be, whether the automakers will pick that up and put it in all vehicles or select vehicles, how will that be implemented? That's an example where I think it's gonna take regulation in order to get automakers to adopt that particular technology and put it in all vehicles. I don't think you will make that work with a voluntary agreement. Something like headlight technology, on the other hand, uh, I do think we can potentially use a voluntary agreement to do something similar that we did with AEB and get automakers to advance their headlight technologies. So I think it's gonna be a mix of those two things moving forward. You know, it's interesting, David, that you mentioned headlights because I want to follow up with that. Um, we, we saw, as you say, a voluntary program. Now we've also seen new technologies come out in some cases that, that NHTSA seems to be a drag on. Uh, mm -hmm. I was surprised when I spoke with somebody from Canada the other day to realize that the, uh, that the masking technology, that the adaptive lights that start out in Europe are now available 10 miles from my house over in Canada, but not in the United States. And that technology is wonderful for, for people who don't know what it is. It allows the headlights are basically on bright all the time, but it uses a uh, multi-LED uh, multi technology so that it blocks out part of the light, dims it, so that if a pedestrian is walking along the vehicle, uh, they won't be blinded. Oncoming traffic or vehicles in front of you won't be blinded. It's a smart lighting system that extends 
the brights basically to full-time use and yet we don't have it and mm -hmm. so uh first of all what do you did do you think at times that NHTSA has become as much an obstacle as a proponent of some technologies? And if so, how does incoming President Biden uh, address that with, with what is likely to be a complete turnover of, of the senior staff in, in key transportation jobs? Yeah, that's, it's a, <laughs> that's a great technology to talk about. The, the need for regulation to to change. You know, you think about a lot of the federal motor vehicle safety standards that came into being right in the 60s and 70s, and and uh, and they haven't changed very much. And and headlights is one of those areas that the reason we do not have those advanced lighting systems here in the U.S. is is because we have regulation that hasn't been modified, hasn't been changed, and it needs to be in order to allow us to take advantage of these better systems, better technologies um, that that can potentially prevent crashes and save lives. I mean, it's and nighttime crashes, uh, particularly pedestrians, as you've mentioned, uh, you know, that's where a lot of our fatalities, pedestrian fatalities are. And you know, we've seen those rise dramatically in the past decade here in the U.S. So I, I think that's an area where the next administration really needs to focus on um, not just worrying about regulations of the future and autonomous vehicles, but thinking about the regulations of today uh, and how they need to be modified to allow us to take advantage of the technology that exists today. I mean, one of the things that I constantly talk about is autonomous vehicles are great. Self-driving cars, you know, thinking about that and the potential for that in the future, that's decades away. Um, driving assistance systems and some of the technologies that we're talking about currently, this can save lives today. And that's where we need to focus. That's where our effort needs to focus. And it's where I think the next administration needs to really focus is what can we do today? Just to piggyback on that um, and, and not to uh, take the focus off today too much, but autonomous technology is something that's certainly caught the imagination of the industry um, and I do wonder about the kind of Wild West attitude that's prevailed um, over the past four years. Mm -hmm. And you've seen, you know, particularly Tesla with its full self-driving, whatever that means, um, kind of going about with abandon. Waymo the other day, um, I, I believe, tried to take the high, high road by publishing a lot of data about its autonomous driving testing. Uh, but really, there's pretty, pretty uh, sparse guardrails out there. And I do wonder, um, under a Biden administration, do you expect or would you like to see greater clarity on, on what, you know, is or isn't allowed for testing and, and maybe a, a firmer set of standards about bringing autonomous cars onto public roads? Yeah, I, it's one of those areas where, and we've had discussions with you know, Waymo and Uber and a lot of the companies that are involved in this space and, and trying to understand what they're doing and uh, and providing them with as much knowledge as we can from the kinds of testing and evaluation that we do. Um, but I do think this is an area where there needs to be more guidance uh more regulation put in place of how you're going to test these systems on public roadways um, and how you're going to go about safely implementing them once uh, you're, you're at a point where you want to apply for permission, let's say, to actually put these things out there and have them drive without vehicle. I don't think 
the regulations or the standards or the guidance, however you want to phrase it right now, uh, is in place to the point that I am comfortable uh, as a public driver, you know, out there on the roadway with these vehicles. And so I do think this is an area that's going to take some attention uh, as we move into the future to just think about how we move from testing to actually getting to a, to a point of implementation. We're certainly not there yet. David, we're seeing uh, some uh, cheap Chinese cars coming to the U.S. market. They'll probably be assembled here to avoid the import tariff. One notably is called Candy, K-A-N-D-I. When I look at the cars, I could be wrong here, but I doubt very much they're going to get a top safety pick plus rating from the Insurance Institute. In fact, I even wonder if they can meet the crash standards. Are you yeah. looking into this? And my question is, uh, you know, you can get a one-star, two-star, all the way up to five-star rating. Is it even legal to sell a well one-star car in the U.S. market? Well, any any vehicle, uh, and certainly the, the Chinese um, automakers, that, and we're aware of a number of them, and, and we've had discussions with several of them, uh, when they do start to sell cars here in the U.S., they're going to have to comply with all of the safety standards that currently exist. And so they may be minimal. Uh, they may just meet the minimum standards, uh, but they know that uh, they're going to have to go beyond just meeting those minimum standards if they really want to uh, displace any of the other vehicles in the marketplace and, and have a chance of success here in the U.S. Um, and certainly they want to, or they know, I'll put it this way, they know that they're going to need to uh, perform well in our tests in order to be able to compete. I think that's clear. Consumers still consider safety and the vehicle purchase. One of the interesting things that we're doing on that front is we have connections with other uh, new car assessment programs around the globe. And we've been working closely with a couple organizations in China that do the kinds of testing that we do. And they've been trying to learn from us. We've been having trainings with them over the last few years helping them understand how to run our test in their country so that they can help Chinese automakers produce safe vehicles in their country for their consumers before they even think about bringing vehicles into the U.S. market. And so, and we, again, that we feel like this is part of our responsibility as a safety organization is to help other organizations understand how to make safer vehicles in other parts of the world. David, uh, I know we're running short on time, but let, let me ask you to bullet point. Uh, if you had the top three or top five wishes uh, and you had to sit down with, uh, with uh, President-elect Biden or one of his new uh, team members, what would be those top, top uh, requests that you would make? So the one is, um, and you know, I've, I've been in this business for almost 35 years now. Um, and, and focus on different aspects of, of highway safety. But I would say one of the real critical things is, is to really get us to focus on the legacy issues in road safety that we haven't been able to address uh, to the degree necessary. If we truly want to get to a point where we're going to have zero fatalities on our highways, 
And the two big things on that list are how do we address speed and how do we address impairment? And there are policy issues that we can tackle with regards to both of those. There are technology solutions, both in the vehicle and outside the vehicle, that we can utilize to, to tackle those two problems. Because those two problems alone uh, would result in almost half of our fatalities going away if we were able to do that. The other area that I would ask them to focus on is, we talked about it earlier, is looking at the regulations and making sure that the regulations are not inhibiting progress when it comes to new technologies. And the headlight example was, was a perfect yeah. example to look at for that. And then the third one is we still have to keep our eye on the future and autonomous vehicles. And we do need to be doing whatever we can from a regulatory standpoint to get control of that industry and help them. I mean, I, I will tell you that talking to some of the companies that are involved in that space, they would actually prefer some better guidance from the US DOT and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Not all of them are enjoying being in the Wild West and just doing what they want. I think they would actually prefer a little more guidance when it comes to how they should proceed and what they should tackle and how they should go about developing their product and getting it in the hands of consumers. Good, thank you. Yeah, we've got uh, time for maybe one one more quick question, Chester. Okay, well, I, this being um, uh, uh, the time of year when um, you have a lot of hunters out um, uh, for opening season for deer, I'll ask you uh, a seasonal question, which is that I think about a couple hundred Americans die every year from deer collisions, and that seems to be the case every year going back um, for as long as, uh, as I'm aware. Um, are you aware of any technology that can help that? I mean, it seems like something that's, um, you know, particularly for us uh, in the northern states this time of year is, is a perennial issue. And a real quick answer, David. So one of the interesting issues, parts of that, is that the pedestrian automatic emergency braking systems, some of those actually do have the potential to pick up animals. And so that technology may have the benefit of helping with animal strikes as we move forward into the future. Well, good. I'm afraid with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. David Harkey, thanks so much for coming on and talking automotive safety with us today. Thank you, John. Chester and Paul, great to have you guys on board as well. Great to be with you. Good show. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.